peek behind the curtain of the Softly Training Lab with the Softly Performance Podcast. The pinnacle of human performance is out there, and we intend to find it. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Softly Performance Podcast. Today, I am joined with Kaylee McDevitt, one of my favorite fellow registered dietitian nutritionists. How are you doing today? I'm good. Excited to be back. I know. We had so much fun the first <laughs> time that I wanted to kind of get your your opinion and your specialty. First, I guess if people have not listened to our first episode we did together, tell us a little bit more about you and your specialty and what you do as a dietitian. Yeah. So I own a virtual nutrition practice and I help my clients resolve frustrating hormone and digestive issues predominantly. And I do that through personalized nutrition and functional lab testing. Um, In addition to that, I also um, am a co-creator of an online women's health course called Her Hormones Academy, which is kind of like the DIY version of what I do with my clients. I'm a huge fan of Her Hormones Academy for women who have questions and maybe have listened to some of the other podcasts that I did um, with Clarissa. We talked a lot about hormone imbalance specifically in women. So you guys are putting out a lot of great resources. That's really awesome. Yeah, thanks. Also, I'm going to I'm got to be honest. I'm obsessed with your quizzes you've been doing lately <laughs> on your Instagram. I love it. I that feel makes like me happy. I'm testing my knowledge and refreshing. And then so it's really cool to kind of learn more about these functional medicine tests that you know, we don't we get a very broad base when we go to school to be a registered dietitian, so it's really awesome to see other specialties in and what you do. Thanks. I'm glad those quizzes have been fun for me. I just love when you get the right answer in that little confetti burst. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's great. Yeah, I love it. So today <laughs> we're going to dive down the rabbit hole and we're going to talk about carcadium rhythm and we're going to talk about shift work. I get so many questions about shift work, um, working the night shift, because a lot of our customer base does this, whether they're law enforcement or military first responders. There's there's all kinds of scenarios where this applies. And it's, it was an interesting topic that was brought up multiple times during my most recent sports and nutrition conference mm. is kind of the detrimental effects of even just not sleeping the way you're supposed to be, the time you're supposed to be, how that, how that affects the body. And I think shift work, especially night shift, is a very extreme version of that. So totally. we're going to just dive right in. Yeah. Do you want to kick it off and talk about what it is? Sure, sure. So the circadian rhythm is the roughly 24-hour cycle that the body runs on. And in its most simplest form, it's regulating when we are awake and we're asleep. And so we've got a master clock that's located in the hypothalamus in our brain, but we also have some peripheral, peripheral clocks that are found in other parts of the body. So places like our liver, our muscles, our lungs, our heart. And you can think of this whole thing, and we can just call it CR for the rest of this so we don't have to say circadian rhythm a thousand times. It's kind of a mouthful. It is. So you can think of our CR as kind of like an an efficiency system. You know, our bodies have a humongous to-do list every day between making hormones and repairing our muscles and keeping our DNA healthy and digestion. And it relies on this internal clock to organize when to do what at optimal times. So during the day, we're going to have upregulation of certain systems. And then at night, we're going to have upregulations of different systems. So we're not running all of them all the time. And it's basically saving energy for the body. I love it. When I kept reading about this, it was kept being brought up over and over that this is tied to light in a huge way and that we're meant to be daytime creatures. And I found it fascinating. And I was like, maybe it is true. We're like, complicated houseplants with emotions. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But, we are. <laughs> but then it seems very obvious as to why if you're not going in line with this natural way of the body, it can disrupt all sorts of systems. Yeah, totally. If, if all systems in the body operate on this cycle, if we're not aligned with that, you know, we're missing out on optimal function of literally all, all systems. Yeah. And from what I was reading, you were saying it's in, it's located are controlled mostly in the area of the brain called the hypothalamus and it's sitting right above that optic chasm which i guess is receiving a signal of light from the optic nerve and signaling the body to do what it needs to do so 
why is this important then in your opinion? Yeah. So like you said, it's right next to where input is coming from our eyes. So the biggest driver of regulating that master clock in the hypothalamus is exposure to light or dark. And I mean, if you think about even like our ancestors, that's what started the day for them. They got exposure to light when the sun rose and it's basically telling the body, Hey, it's daytime. Now it's time to get all the systems go for the day, whether that means they're foraging or they're hunting, or they need to be able to digest food. They need to be able to keep their immune system optimal. Um, it starts the process. And then at the end of the day, the reverse is true. When we don't get that input of light, once the sun goes down, we now start making melatonin, which is our primary circadian hormone. And that's slowing things down, getting us ready for deep restorative sleep. So that light is the biggest driver of the main central clock. So I think in this day and age, we have a tendency to stare at computers, TVs, Mm -hmm. phone screens, that is picked up by the brain and received as a light source, yep. correct? And so this is disrupting these patterns. Even if we are trying to keep a regular schedule in line with our CR, that right there alone, I think, is huge as far as disrupting everything the body is trying to naturally do. Oh, yeah. There's a mismatch between the way we're programmed and then the environment in which we live. You know, the sun goes down, but that doesn't mean we don't have exposure to light. And it's particularly the blue light from our TVs, our devices, our iPhones, our laptops. um, That's problematic for getting that whole cycle going. Yeah. Do you have you heard anything about like blue light glasses? What's your opinion on that? Is there any research that these work? Yeah, it definitely depends on which one you're purchasing. Um, I do have some because regardless of how much value I put in protecting my CR, like I still want to watch TV at night sometimes, or maybe I have to be on my laptop. And so I find that to be a nice compromise. Um, They're really nerdy looking orange tinted glasses and they take some getting used to. But the ones that are good quality that actually block blue light can be really helpful. And I've noticed a difference personally in my sleep quality when I use them versus when I don't. Um, so that's, that's amazing. Okay. So maybe fix. I do need to look more into this. I was not sure if this was just a trend or if it was actually something here to stay and worthwhile looking into. Yeah. I'm not an expert in blue light blocking glasses, but from what little research I did, those nice, cute looking ones that people wear like (laughs) during the day that look like regular glasses probably aren't blocking blue light. It seems to be the ones that are like full orange, pretty ugly looking. You wouldn't really want to walk around in them, that type. So forego fashion, Yeah, (laughs) put your pride aside, put on (laughs) some orange glasses and there may be some benefit and it's not going to hurt you. So exactly. Very cool. So one of the big things I think when we're talking about this CR and our body being on a clock and if it's disrupted, we can disrupt it in multiple ways. In my understanding, it's sleep. It's also our eating patterns Mm -hmm. and it's influenced by things like exercise. But what stood out to me the most is how the increased risk of things just went through the roof. Things like cardiovascular events, obesity, depression, bipolar disorder are all correlated with throwing off our CR. I was even, when I was looking at the research, it was saying it impairs our glucose and fatty acid metabolism. And so much so that it can even have the effects of having a poor diet. Yep. What, so what is your opinion on that? Like, what were you reading? Because we both kind of went our separate ways to research and come together. Yeah. Yeah. I came across the same stuff and it's, that's not new news. I mean, we've known for a while that simply not getting a good night of sleep would make it harder to maintain stable blood sugar levels throughout the course of the day. And so looking deeper, you know, in the last couple of weeks when we were prepping for this, um, you see that really clear in the research and whenever they're studying issues with the CR, it's when they mimic shift work conditions in subjects. So that's why we'll definitely talk about how to support the people that are working shift work. Um, But not getting an alignment with that CR means that we don't regulate blood sugar well. It means that we're at higher risk for things like Alzheimer's and depression. So brain function isn't optimal. Um, high blood pressure and obesity risk goes up significantly. And that's because we don't have the benefit of having all the body systems working when they're supposed to. And that means we're even more susceptible to the damaging effects of a poor diet because we don't have the systems in place to even handle that if we're eating mismatched with our CR. 
Right. And what the body does that I also find fascinating is during these times when you're not sleeping enough or your CR is thrown off, you have a tendency to reach for foods that are energy dense, high in sugar, high in fat. Your body is telling you we need the energy from somewhere. So mm-hmm. if you're not careful and you're, you're not prepared, you can even, you know, give in and make that, that worse, I think. Yeah, definitely. Your body wants energy from somewhere. So if it's not getting enough sleep or good enough sleep, it's going to ask for it from from food or caffeine. Yeah. And I've noticed this when I'm bad about sleep because admittedly, this is something I need to work on. I have um, an addiction to being busy. It's a thing. Same. So I need to be better about sleep, but it can actually alter your heart rate. And I thought that was kind of crazy. And you can tell sometimes when you haven't slept, it almost feels like you're dehydrated. It can alter your heart rate. And that can be not great if you're trying to exercise and be active. Yeah, totally. So what are some signs that your CR is off? Yeah. So some of the biggest ones would be issues with when you're feeling a drive to sleep. So maybe you're falling asleep super early on the couch at like 7 PM and then you're waking up in the middle of the night and can't fall back asleep. Or maybe you sleep awesome on the weekends, but when you go back to your weekday schedule, like you can't quite get in a rhythm and then inability to sleep well at night versus being really tired during the day would all be signs and symptoms. Um, and then of course the other things like just general fatigue, gaining weight, having inflammation problems or poor blood sugar control would all be signs that there's a misalignment going on between your behavior and your CR. Yeah. And that sounds like a lot. And other notable ones too that stood out are this decrease in cognitive skills when you're talking about concentration, communication, psychomotor skills, all things you need usually to perform your job that's probably throwing off your CR anyway. I think that's Mm -hmm. why it's going to be, as we get on, really important that you're taking some of these tools and incorporating them into your life. Yeah. I mean, you don't get the benefit of having like all systems go if we're not in alignment. We're getting that surge of energy and productivity and mental clarity at night when we should be sleeping versus in the day when that should typically be happening if it's misaligned. So digestion and cognitive abilities are hindered for sure. Yeah. I don't need another reason to experience gastrointestinal distress and headaches (laughs) and all these other things that come with it. Like we already have enough trouble as is. Yes. Agreed. So let's talk lifestyle hacks to make this, to make this easier, especially if you're someone who can't help it and you're a night shift worker. Mm -hmm. So for somebody that's not a night shift worker, let's, let's start with that first, because this is the easiest and it's literally for your lifestyle. It's just aligning yourself with the light and dark phases that the day goes through. So in the morning, getting yourself exposed to light, preferably sunlight, if that matches when you wake up for work. Um, and even getting some movement, like getting your heart rate up a little bit and drinking some water. So we're getting light into the brain, we're getting the systems fired up, and then we're hydrating ourselves to get the digestive system primed for the day ahead. Um, And then getting exposure to sunlight throughout the day is a good reminder to your body that, okay, it's daytime, we're matched up with the environment. And then in the evening, the opposite is true. We want to avoid exposure to light especially that blue light from our electronics. So that would be things like either cutting a screen time off like two hours before you want to go to bed or wearing some super awesome blue light blocking glasses, avoiding caffeine late in the day. God, um, I'm super so bad about stuff. that. Anything you want to add to, to the non shift workers to do list for lifestyle? I'm just thinking about everything I need to change right now. <laughs> like, but um, no, I mean, I think that that's huge. And people make fun of me because in my house I like to have mood lighting. Yeah. And because at night I want to, I want to turn, I turn the lights down. I've got everything on a dimmer and I have warm light and then I'm all about some candles because I think even no matter what, having some type of a bedtime routine to relax that I find is super helpful. So this routine and kind of sticking to a plan I think is really important. I'm very bad about the electronics and bright lights, um, and also what, from what I was reading in the research, avoiding stress is a part of this common routine because of that spike in cortisol can affect how you're resting. So there's another one that's kind of important. 
Yeah. And that ties in exercise. So I know it's pretty common for people to try to get their workouts in, in the evening, like after work and depending on the type of exercise they're doing, that could be problematic for supporting their CR. If we get a super intense workout in late at night, you know, we're driving that cortisol response, which is in opposition to melatonin, which would be winding our day down. Um, so, you know, that's also not my area of expertise, but if people have significant sleep issues or other signs of misalignment here, taking a look at the types of exercise they do at night is definitely a part of what I would do with them. Um, in addition to some techniques to bring down cortisol, if that's your only time that you have to train, and that would be making sure you get a solid meal afterwards, preferably one that's got some carbs in it. Um, even considering things like L-theanine, vitamin C, different things like that, that can help bring down cortisol post-training. Um, cause that's a big one. And I used to be like a nighttime exerciser and it totally mm-hmm. affected my sleep. I think it messed with me too. Cause what I ran across was hi- avoiding high intensity exercise before bed and there's benefits to moderate intensity. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, just switching, if you have no choice, the intensity level of your activity and what you're doing can make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, Did you run across, excuse me, did you run across anything in the research about an optimal time to exercise for sleep? I'm assuming if you want to do high intensity earlier in the day would be better. Yeah. Probably maybe midday. Yeah. Early to midday um, is pretty much what I found. There's nothing conclusive about the particular time to work out. Um, But I'd say if it's going to be intense, you definitely want it in the first part of the day if, if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing on the list that I think people are going to get upset about when it comes to lifestyle hacks, no smoking, that nicotine, Mm -hmm. not great for sleep, avoiding alcohol or limiting alcohol, especially right before bed, because it it leads to a disruptive sleep. Same thing goes for cannabis. You think, oh, if you're in a state where it's legal, oh, it's going to help me sleep. But from what I've come across when it comes to altering the mind, whether that's with alcohol or cannabis you're going, it's going to be at a cost and you're going to have less restful sleep, meaning less, you know, our um, REM cycle sleep. So that was a a big one I came across that's worth noting. Yeah. It's all about balance. I'm glad you brought that up. And another thing I think is to note, keeping a consistent schedule during holidays and weekends, this idea of like, oh, I don't have to work Saturday, so I'm going to sleep in and catch up on sleep is not a thing. Just like everything else, consistency is going to be more important. We preach it over and over with nutrition and exercise. It's the same exact thing with sleep. Having those extremes is doing nothing for you. And it's throwing off your CR and putting you at risk for a lot of these different things. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that because really, if you were to summarize like all the tips that we're going through in this for maintaining balance with your CR, it comes down to having a routine and sticking with that routine day in and day out with your sleep, with your nutrition, with your exercise, all of it. Even if you're working a shift, you know, a a night shift, having a routine there can help prevent some of those damaging effects that come with the territory. What's your opinion on naps? Other than like a 20 minute power nap, not a huge fan. Cause I think it can shift your circadian rhythm, not in your favor. And I'm not think? a 20 minute napper. Like no, I'm like either. down for the count drooling two to three hours. Like it's not pretty. Yeah. So <laughs> I just try to avoid it quite honestly, but they, they presented some research from the university of Colorado at this conference and they were saying 20 to 30 minutes, definitely no longer than an hour. And they were saying before 3 PM. Like if you absolutely need a power nap, the time should be 20, 30 minutes, like you said. And then before 3 p.m., if you're trying to keep in line with your CR, this, you know, obviously might not apply for shift workers. And one of the other things they brought up, they do, they had a super awesome lab that was nicer than most people's houses. This sleep study that they did there. Um, I wish I could remember the name of the lab, but it's University of Colorado for those who are interested And they're putting out a lot of really interesting research and kind of summarizing their findings and lifestyle hacks. They were saying cooler rooms are better. So if you keep your bedroom at 60 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit, that's the optimal, cool, quiet, dark environment to rest, which I love. I'm all about keeping that AC down. Oh, me too. So that was a really good one. And um, 
also respecting the bedroom as a space for rest and not bringing our phones to bed, our computers to bed, TV in the bedroom, not great. They really recommend the bedroom is for sleeping and intimacy. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. makes a ton of sense as part of the routine and kind of getting your body ready to go to bed. Yeah. It's all part of that like routine ritual, like just patterns, because then your body knows what to expect. It's much easier to stay in rhythm if, if things are expected at particular times. Yeah. We're creatures of habit. Yeah. And we just need to just need to work those good habits into our lives. Yeah. One of the other points they brought up was um, don't stress about not sleeping. I know I'm not the only one who does that. Do you ever oh, like count totally. down? Like, you set your alarm and you're like, I have five hours and 30 minutes. <laughs> and, and then you can't sleep because you're stressed that you're not getting sleep. Yep. So I thought that was funny that they brought that up. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm just going to ride this cortisol spike of stress until I <laughs> pass out, apparently. But yeah. they had a lot of good ones. That was at the University of Colorado um, lab for those who are interested in looking into their research more. Yeah, that's great. So let's talk nutrition hacks. Yeah. Um, so again, we'll, we'll talk to the non night shift workers first, and then we'll circle back to both lifestyle and nutrition for shift workers. Cause it'll be a little bit different. Um, based on what I found, it makes the most difference for keeping your CR in rhythm. If we have like a specific 12 hour feeding and 12 hour fasting window. So, mm-hmm. you know, all of our food coming in between, let's say, you know, 7am and 7pm. And then every night we're not eating between 7pm and 7am. And that's just taking advantage of the increase in our digestive abilities and our ability to extract and absorb nutrients during the day. Um, we even have a change in our gut microbiome that fluctuates on this 24 hour rhythm too. And that's some of the most interesting stuff I came across getting ready for this. Yeah. What happens there? Yeah. So there's a change in the number of, of bacteria and like the types of bacteria that fluctuate throughout the course of 24 hours. So the ones that are playing a role in things like protein digestion, for example, are higher during the day. Whereas at night colonies that help with detoxification and removing, you know, old damaged materials from the body are higher at night. So they just add to that greater ability to digest and use food during our waking hours. And then really wanting to not be eating during the sleep hours, um, even though we have access to food all 24 hours now, um, we're not a 24 hour diner, so to speak inside the body, because we don't have, we don't have the tools available to their best capacity at all hours. I love that. I feel like they made a CR diet because now everything needs to have a label and a diet. And I've heard people say uh, the 12, 12 is a type of intermittent fasting. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, it's literally just a normal eating pattern that everyone, it doesn't need a label. You know, everyone I think should be kind of following this, this 12, 12 approach. Yes. And if anybody gets credit for that, it's not the newest diet creators. It's like our cavemen, ancestors because those people were not snacking at night when predators were out looking for food they were asleep and they were eating during the day because that's when they had sunlight available so it's just I, I would say that's probably the most natural pattern of eating absolutely and I think beneficial for I mean that could apply to both shift workers and non-shift workers mm-hmm. right in your opinion yeah. that's something that everyone should be then following yep all that changes for them is the time, you know, at which yeah. they're doing. Those Cause there things. was a Harvard study that was talking about in animals in general and, and humans that, um, well in animals, they, their CR shifted to match food availability, which is exactly what you're saying in humans. That was the point until mm-hmm. we created the society. So we just kind of need to honor that where we came from mentality to keep the body running as a smooth, well-oiled machine that it is. Yep. Totally. I ran across some stuff when I was talking about nutrition, now that we're talking about fasting and feeding windows specifically, that trying to do a 16-hour fast when you have jet lag of some kind to kind of use food to help reset your CR could be beneficial. Did you read anything about that? What's your opinion? I did. I did. I think it was 12 to 16 with the best effects at 16 hours as a way to reset you know, your, your waking rhythm. So that's helpful if you just traveled across time zones, or maybe you have some social jet lag from like staying up super late over the weekend and you're trying to recalibrate 
Or if you just had a major change in your work schedule, like maybe you went from day to night shift, doing a 12 to 16 hour fast and then ending that fast with when you want your new morning to be, like your new breakfast, um, seemed to be really helpful from what I saw too. Yeah, they gave the example of, let's say you're fasting during your flight and then at the next local meal time for whatever time zone you're in is then when you should resume your eating patterns. So you're, yeah. you know, whatever that fast looks like, 12 to 16 hours. So I thought that was a really interesting, uh, interesting approach that I kind of want to try out myself while traveling and see how that goes. Same. Have you ever tried that? I know no, you like to travel. I haven't. I've experimented with fasting for different reasons, but I've never done it in combination with a trip, but it makes total sense. And that's because those, you know, our, our main clock in the brain is affected by light and dark, but the peripheral clocks in our other tissues is affected by feeding or fasting. So it's a way to control some of those other clocks that we have in different systems. And it, it makes sense to me. Guess I need to plan a trip somewhere so I can try this out. I know. I'm, I haven't been out of time. Well, I did go to time zone, but it wasn't too bad. So I wanted to see what you thought. I ran over some specifics as micro for micronutrients. Mm. And there, to me, were seem to be these patterns that I think are right up your alley and you would know way more about when it comes to integrative and functional nutrition. So from what I read, difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep, and sleep quality can all be affected by different micronutrients. Yeah. And so it said... Diets low in alpha carotene, selenium, lauric acid, and calcium, you might have difficulty falling asleep. Yeah, I thought that was crazy because then in my own life, I recently had a bunch of labs done when I went to my um, new integrative and functional medicine doctor, and my selenium was low, mm -hmm. and I have such a hard time falling asleep. So I started eating three Brazil nuts to get selenium before bed as kind of like my own nutrition intervention. Yeah, I love that. So I thought that was like kind of fascinating. And then diets low in vitamin D, which is actually really common. So um, common. And what, it, what it, they had others here. Lauric acid, lycopene, that could be related to difficulty staying asleep. So it's especially common in women usually to have low vitamin D. Yeah. And I think the most people I hear talk about are women who wake up a lot at night. I'm also one of those people. Like I'm definitely, it's a good night if I sleep through the night. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. It's been an ongoing struggle <laughs> to to figure out my sleep stuff. And vitamin D issues have always been the case for me. <laughs> yeah, I started recently supplementing, again, based on lab mm -hmm. tests I got done because I want to reiterate how important that is. A lot of the people are, are like, oh, this supplement might help me sleep. Mm -hmm. I really encourage people to seek out a nutrition provider who will test all this for you. And then you should have supplements and vitamin and mineral supplementation based off of those tests. That's when you're going to see results. Yeah, absolutely. This is just more information of if you have difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep or sleep quality, these are some things that could be going on so that's why it's important to seek a healthcare professional that's going to take that seriously yeah. and, and run the necessary tests, I think. Yeah, that testing is key. And I think it's good that you point out because people talk about having sleep issues all the time. And just because something is common doesn't mean that that's normal or what you should be experiencing. So if that's an ongoing thing and you've already, you know, ruled out the fact that you're having caffeine late in the day or blue light or all those things, then it's worth getting some testing done to figure out what you could benefit from because supplements are going to be the most beneficial when it's something that you truly need. And they tend to be vitamins, minerals, antioxidants that your body uses to build other things that actually help keep you asleep, like melatonin, for example, and other, you know, key players for keeping you asleep throughout the night. And there are different foods and different supplements that can help replete those levels if they're, if they're low. Yeah. And a lot of the times too, this isn't a full, a long time, sorry, long-term intervention. These supplements usually are temporary. You can make some dietary changes and get back on track. Um, so I think a lot of people also think it can be overwhelming and it might be at first, but it's absolutely worth it if you suspect something's going on to seek yeah. a healthcare provider and kind of work on getting things right. Yeah. You brought and this I, up earlier. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, I rarely like blanket recommend supplements to everybody, but if there was one in this conversation that I do, it's magnesium because None of us get enough of that. And that's one that can really help with sleep. Um, and that could be, I mean, they have it in beverage form, like that natural calm. There are even sprays that it's absorbed through your skin. 
Um, and of course there's the capsule forms, but magnesium is super helpful for sleep and we just don't get enough of it from food and we have an increased demand if we're stressed or active. So that one can be helpful. So what's the process a little bit about how the body uses magnesium that it can benefit our sleep? Do you know anything about that? Yeah. So magnesium is kind of like nature's muscle relaxant. If, if we were going to compare it to something, um, so it's going to help activate systems in your brain that are basically like winding it down for the day. So there's something called GABA, which is our primary inhibitory neurotransmitter. So it's, it's blocking some of the more stimulating chemicals in our brain and magnesium goes into that process. Um, can also help alleviate like sore or tense muscles too, in a similar fashion. So it's a very calming, relaxing mineral, and it can be really easy to include that in your nighttime routine. And, and at least for me personally, and in many of my clients makes a big difference in their sleep. Yeah. That's another one of mine that I, I actually supplement regularly. I do the pure encapsulations, yeah. um, magnesium glycinate, or however you say that. I'm really yeah. bad at all these like science, <laughs> no, that science right. names. <laughs> I'm having like flashbacks from biochemistry. It's not great. Um, you brought this point up earlier talking about diets low in calories and carbohydrates and even vitamin C, potassium, and just water can lead to trouble sleeping. Mm -hmm. So that's why if you're a chronic dieter and you've been eating super low calorie, low carb, probably lacking some micros, you're not going to have great sleep quality. So that's another thing to keep in mind when you're choosing an eating pattern to pay attention to the trends. Everyone wants to step on the scale and think that's the answer, but it's so much more. How's your mood? How's your sleep? And, and that's why I think it's important. Dietitians ask these questions. Like, this is why we want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's an important point that, you know, first things first is we've got to have a diet that's sufficient in both macro and micronutrients for you based on, you know, your activity, your lifestyle. And then from there, we can get more specific with specific timing for your CR and supplements if you need it. But the foundation of all of this has to be a diet that gives you all the calories, the macronutrients that you need and all the vitamins and minerals you can get from real food. That's crucial. Do you have any good nutrition hacks for CR? Yeah. So that, that 12 hour feeding and fasting window is really helpful. And then with that would be trying to get like the bulk of our calories in the first half of the day. So like bigger meals to start the day. And then we're ending with our smallest meal at dinner. Obviously there'll be some nuance there if somebody's training later in the day, because the priority would be getting them enough food around their workout time. But for somebody that has the flexibility to do so. If we have bigger meals in the beginning part of the day, we have that digestive machinery in place at higher levels earlier in the day. Um, and then just regular meal timing. Um, I know that's not like a fun, spontaneous answer for food, but the more scheduled these things can be, the more your body is prepared with the digestive enzymes and the hydrochloric acid to really utilize the food better. Yeah, which is super important. And I think for those normal eating patterns, um, I notice it's what really works is eating dinner at least a few hours before bed. Like, yeah. you know, I would say at least three in my opinion. And then having that big breakfast you're talking about, love breakfast, believe in breakfast, Same. don't care whatever's trendy. <laughs> so having that breakfast shortly after waking. So you had mentioned wake up, go step outside, stand outside, drink some water because you're a complicated houseplant, Mm -hmm. then have a big feeling, filling breakfast to start your day off right shortly after waking. Yep. Totally. And then, you know, just nutrient dense plant foods when we have the option, because those are going to give us the most vitamins, minerals, antioxidants of, of really any food. So those are protective of your CR. So it helps give you a little bit of flexibility if you're not able to follow an eating schedule, like to a T um, is, is safeguarding with a bunch of nutrients from plant foods. Absolutely. What did you run across when you were looking about research and training and CR? Yeah. So with that, it's really just what we talked about earlier is that nighttime training would be a problem for getting melatonin in your system because an intense bout of training is going to raise cortisol and that's the opposite hormone for melatonin. So you know, if, if somebody were my client and having sleep issues and they were training intensely at night, we would take a look at that and see if we could either move the time of their training or decrease the intensity and just focus on, you know, 
movement of a moderate intensity. You know, they can get some benefits from that, but then we're also protecting their sleep, which I would argue is more important than their training. Um, but then if that was the only time that they could train, there are some things that you can do to help blunt that cortisol response. And one would be a meal that's relatively high in carbohydrates. Um, and the other one would be either vitamin C or something like L-theanine, which helps calm the cortisol response in your body and can help make you have a better transition from training to getting ready for bed. Um, Where can we find L-theanine in food? Or do you recommend that usually as a, in a supplement form? So the best food form would be from green tea. So because that would come with some caffeine, I would do it in a supplement form at night. You can benefit cool. from it during the day from green tea, but if we're doing right. this at night for sleep purposes, I would do a supplement form. And that pure encapsulations company that you mentioned earlier is great for stuff like that. Yeah, definitely look for some high quality supplements and that's a great company. That's personally what I use for mine. Everything I was looking at when it came to, you know, training considerations, a lot of it was lumping certain things together and saying we really need more research on just exercise and kind of how it relates to this holistic influence of your CR. I did come across some evidence that aerobic exercise at a moderate intensity during the day can be beneficial. Nice. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of, that's good to hear that it can promote this alignment and I know from what I was looking at that the extent to which these improvements happen can also help with different cardiovascular changes. So if you, so basically if you're starting to make these improvements and little lifestyle changes, you can almost kind of reverse some of these negative effects that we talked about. Cause I feel like we started off strong, really scary. Like here's the list <laughs> of all the things that can go wrong. So it's important to note that these aren't permanent and that you'll see improvements when you start kind of changing your lifestyle. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. And I think those improvements from the research that we do have available happen pretty quickly. You know, once things get in alignment, we see a resolution of a lot of these issues, which is encouraging for sure. Absolutely. Shall so we talk, talk about our poor night shift workers? I was literally that prompted- about to say that. I like we both took a deep breath at the same time. Like, all right, let's tackle this. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about knife sh- night shift work. Yeah. So, what were the kind of questions that you got from from your audience and and Softly members about night shift specifically? Well, a lot of people it changes, so it's only a certain couple of nights a week and then they'll try to have a normal schedule, which honestly, from what I came across in the research makes things worse. Totally trying to be nocturnal one day and a daytime creature the next, like it's just throwing everything off. So I think that probably would be the most challenging scenario. And then there's some people that are trying to, during their work week, have their shift work. And then on the weekends, they want to maintain some type of normal social life, mm-hmm. which is one of the risk factors is that, you know, your, your social health, which is very important, then contributes to your mental and emotional. That can be a real challenge with um, night shift work, yeah. but it's especially with our customer base, what they do. It's really common. One in five people in the United States. Um, this was based on a PBS study, but one in five people work this non-standard hour. That's a lot. Like 20% yeah. of people have some type of scenario where they're affected by this. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot of people and it's scary to get research that shows shift work as an independent risk factor for things like type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease and you know, that's stressful to know that information. It's also stressful to struggle to maintain a social life like you mentioned with uh, you know, a non-traditional schedule like that. So the mindset piece I think is, is really important for this population is, you know, accepting the reality of their current shift work and reminding themselves that they do have power over how much that affects their body. There are things that are in their control that they can do to mitigate those effects. Um, and then also trying to remember that it hopefully is not a permanent situation that maybe some, at some point down the road, they can transition to day shift work on a consistent basis. But I totally agree with you. The ones that, that go back and forth between night and day shift in a week is the most challenging for sure. Because if our, if our schedule is consistent, even if it's out of normal 
CR rhythm, we can still make changes to basically adjust our own rhythms to match our, our shift work. So we're, we're just going to be eating during the night and sleeping and fasting during the day. Um, but it's when that schedule changes day to day that it gets much harder to maintain that, that same rhythm. Yeah. So what would you give, like, what did you run across as probably good golden nuggets for those that do have to do night shift work? Yeah. So I'd say the first one, which we talked about with non-night shift workers would be maintaining that 12 hour eating and 12 hour fasting window as best as they can. So, um, when you're transitioning into night shift work, maybe even starting that off with that 12 to 16 hour fast to establish your new morning, which let's say somebody is working like the 11 AM to 7 PM shift. So their, their morning is going to be what, like eight, eight PM. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I mean, 11 PM to 7 AM shift. That's where I was getting myself confused. Yeah. So their morning would be 8 PM. So they essentially wouldn't be eating anymore between 8 AM and 8 PM. And they would wake up and they'd have breakfast at, let's say like 9 PM is their breakfast now. And so for them, it would be really important to maintain that normal meal structure as if it was the daytime throughout the night so that they're ending with their last meal a couple hours before they want to go to sleep. And then they're going to bed. Um, And then also keeping in mind things like caffeine exposure, which could be really tempting as you're settling into a night shift work, but we want to have that cut off, you know, six hours or so before we'd like to be able to sleep again. And then the nutrient density of your food is so much more important if you're a night shift worker, because you just don't have as much wiggle room as somebody that's got the daytime rhythms working for them. So it's much more appealing when you're tired to reach for those energy dense convenience foods But for this population, it's so much more important that we're sticking with like real quality foods as often as possible. Absolutely. And I think the key to that is preparing. Yep. And even for me as someone who doesn't, is just a normal human, I need to do that to prepare because life is busy. So meal prepping or prepping, even just, you know, preparing your meals before your shift to take with you so you have healthy options, having really easy, ready to go snacks like baby carrots, apple slices, hummus, bananas, I don't know, what are some some nuts? Yeah. Um, that's going to be way better than grabbing like a, I don't know, a honey bun out of the vending machine. You used yeah. to eat those in high school. I used to live on yeah. Diet Cokes and vending machine honey buns. Not oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, how same. times have changed. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, you mentioned whole foods. So things like whole grains, So there's some fiber there. There's some Mm -hmm. micronutrients, some lean proteins, lots of plants. You brought that up because all those micros are so crucial. Mm -hmm. So that's what we mean when we're talking about whole foods, like mostly plants, some lean protein, some healthy fats, all that good stuff to be prepared. And some people also asked me, maybe you have some, some advice as well. If you don't have a microwave or a refrigerator, what do you do? Mm. I honestly have a lunchbox. I'm almost 30 and I have a fucking lunchbox. But it's awesome because I put ice packs in it and I'm prepared and I don't mind eating certain foods, you know, just cold and not reheating them. But do you have any like tips or tricks or like, I don't know. I don't even know what some good recipe examples would be. (laughs) Yeah. Lunchbox it up for sure, because then you can pack what you need. Um, and then you can supplement that with things that don't need to be refrigerated. So that would be like maybe even a good protein powder or something that you can easily keep at your workstation. Um, like nuts and seeds wouldn't need to be refrigerated. Certain like hardier fresh fruits, like apples, bananas, that type of stuff wouldn't need to be refrigerated. Um, but for the things that do, I don't think there's really a way around a lunchbox. Because, yeah. you know, real food perishes, so we're going to need something to keep that cold. And if you, I mean, you can get away with eating food that's not maybe the coldest about like four, for like four hours. And then oh, food yeah. safety gets a little dicey. Mm-hmm. But even if you just did things like a really good whole grain bread and I don't know, something like some turkey or I like to shred rotisserie chicken mm-hmm. and made a good sandwich, throw some veggies on that too, just to sneak them in any way you can. That would be a good solution if you absolutely don't have a, a microwave and you don't want to eat cold Tupperware food. Yep, definitely. So it sounds like the biggest thing is establishing a schedule 
and creating a plan about that. So if you are listening and you do work a night shift, it's time to sit down and map out when your morning is, what your 12 hour of 12 hours of eating window looks like, and then what you can do to fill that with consistent, regularly timed nutrient dense meals. Um, and honestly, that's, that's 100% up to you. It takes work to establish that, but once we're in that routine, things get much easier. And then we can prevent night shift work from having that detrimental effect on overall health for sure. One of the other things is since you're already fighting the fact that your body wants to produce melatonin and go to sleep because it's dark outside, avoiding super heavy meals that are, are going to make you sleepy on top of that. So even if you're spacing those out, and you might, and I think this is going to be really personal as well. Mm-hmm. See what works for you. Is it easier if you eat small meals every two to three hours? How do you feel? But that's something to be mindful of, I think. Yep, definitely. And then nice that light comes into play for them too. So, you know, depending on when you are starting your day, if you have the ability to see sunlight at that time, absolutely take advantage of that because that's helping to get your system adjusted to your new, you know, behavioral circadian rhythm. And then on the opposite end of that, when you're getting ready to go to sleep, it's likely daytime. So it's bright outside and we need to be doing anything that we can to avoid exposure to sunlight and blue light from electronics at that time. So that means when you get home, it's blackout curtains in your bedroom. It's blue light blocking glasses. If you've still got work to do, um, if we're going to have any hope of getting enough melatonin on board to actually get quality sleep, we have to really be aware of light exposure on, on both morning and night ends. Have you seen those awesome alarm clocks that wake you up like sunlight? Yeah. I'm really curious about those. And it's a slow, the light slowly gets brighter as if it was a sunrise. Maybe that could be something worth looking into. We are not sleep experts (laughs) and doctors. We're just trying to throw out some other stuff besides our nutrition nerdy life hacks. Mm -hmm. But that could be something worth looking into. And definitely the blackout curtains for the total darkness and leave all the blue light electronics and everything else that interferes with sleep outside of the bedroom. Yeah. And then like you mentioned, cold. It should be cold in your bedroom too. Also, let's talk about water. We talked about the fact that you shouldn't be drinking alcohol or lots of caffeine, Mm -hmm. but you should be drinking a lot of water. Yes, absolutely. And I recommend just bringing a bottle with you. I have a bottle with me all the time. I've got my warm lemon water in front of me now, but bring a bottle, fill it often, and don't reach for sodas and other sugary drinks or caffeine. And I think you mentioned this, but what's your take on caffeine consumption? Yeah. So I, I am a fan of coffee. Um, even yeah. though I don't know that it necessarily is the best thing for me. So I tend to not take that away from people because there's a lot of ritual to coffee that I enjoy. And it seems like other people do too. Um, I'd say it's just important to find a threshold for you. So maybe one to two cups of coffee a day and then establishing when your caffeine cutoff time is. Um, so like for me, that is around 2 PM because I need later than that. And it's going to affect my sleep, but that's a little different from person to person. Cause it's based right. on how quickly we metabolize caffeine and that's genetically determined. Um, so I think you just got to experiment with that. What, what kind of criteria do you use for caffeine? Yeah. The researchers, um, at the conference that I was just at were saying lunchtime is a good general cutoff area, whatever your lunchtime is. And for night shift, I know that that can be a little more difficult, but I would say at least four hours or five hours before you're ending your shift, stop with the caffeine. Yeah. Agreed. Because then you can start to kind of like wind down. I think that's important. Definitely. And another uh, good one is exercising, even moving during your workday. So that if you're not just sitting, whether you're in a patrol car or whatever you're doing, even if you can just get out, take a walk, go up and down the stairs, stretch a little bit and take breaks. That will kind of help keep your body, I think, awake and alert when you need to be for work. Mm -hmm. In addition to when we talked about all the other kind of exercise recommendations. Yep. Agreed. And then as far as like specific nutrients, I think it's pretty much the same for, for night shift workers too. I would suspect vitamin D needs even more in a night shift worker because they're getting even less exposure to actual sunlight. Um, so that would be something worth testing because it's going to affect your energy level. It's going to affect your sleep quality if that's deficient among a bunch of other things that vitamin D does. Um, and then I did also see some pretty good research on 
using melatonin like at a three to five milligram dose, uh, especially to establish a new sleeping pattern. So that's applicable if you've got jet lag or you're switching schedules or you're a night shift worker and this is you know your first time doing that and you want to establish a new sleeping pattern. Um, but three to five milligrams showed to improve sleep quality in both duration and quality of sleep. I feel like these are a lot of good hacks. Whenever I kept reading, you get to the part where it's like, and we need further research, but we suspect, <laughs> and you're like, damn. But I think that we're headed in the right direction, and there's a lot of good nuggets for people to start experimenting. Like you mentioned, every body is different, so everybody's going to have a different pattern of what works for them, but I feel like an overarching theme is being consistent, mm-hmm. being mindful about what you're putting in your body, just like everyone else moving regularly. And I think that hopefully we'll see more research. The team that I was talking about, University of Colorado, is doing studies specifically on nutrient timing mm-hmm. and possibly what's the the optimal eating pattern. So that'll be really cool to see more research kind of coming out and emerging on this topic. Did you ever read the book, um, How We Sleep or Why We, what was it called? Why We Sleep? You know what I'm talking about by Dr. Walker? Oh yeah, I didn't read it, but I'm familiar with it. It's sitting on my shelf. And it's been recommended to me by so many people and I need to go ahead and and read that and kind of dive down that rabbit hole more. So that would be a good book for further reading that I've heard really good things about if someone's interested in the science. It's not, from what I've heard, it's not really necessarily going to give you the tips and tricks like we just did, but it's going to explain to you the whys. It's why is it important and how it works if you're interested in the topic more. Yeah, that reminds me. I've been recommended that book several times too and haven't read it, so I'll make it happen. (laughs) I keep listening to podcasts with him Uh on it, which are awesome because then I can multitask and do things, but I need to read that book. So if people want to reach you and have further questions about anything at all nutrition related and what we talked about today, what is the best way to reach you? So you can find me on Instagram and that's at Kaylee RD. And then my website is KayleeRD.com. So they're both the same and you can find me in either of those places. And we will link these up in the show notes. Awesome. I always love having conversations with you. I feel like I learned so much from you. So I just want to thank oh, you same. for taking the time out of your day to be here of and course. get nutrition nerdy with me. Thanks for having me. I enjoy our conversations too. Yeah. And as always, if you guys have questions for me, you can reach me at brooke at softleet.com or on social media. I'm at brookwestrdn underscore rdn. So either way, um, always reach out if you have questions. I love it. I'm sure Kaylee does too. Mm -hmm. It's a good way for us to connect to people, especially nowadays, since most of our customers and clients are on the internet. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too.